Good morning, podcast listeners. This is Pastor George coming to you here at Tuolumne Community Baptist Church. Listen, first of all, I wanted to apologize to you. We did not get a podcast out last week, our, our Sunday service, because the electricity went out. We actually did service, you know, uh, without electricity. And it was actually quite a good service, but we couldn't record it. And I apologize. So uh, Judges chapter 9, I'll try to uh, record that from my office here at a later date. I just didn't have time this last week, but uh, I'll get it out to you. Here today, we're in Judges 10 and 11. Uh, Moving along into Judges now, um, looking toward Christmas. So I'm probably going to pull off of the book of Judges after next week until we get through the Christmas holiday because I have a Christmas message that we're working on like a four-week sermon series leading up to uh, Christmas Day so which is on a Sunday this year it's it's uh, really a day to be celebrated so I hope you're staying tuned I, I hope you forgive me for not getting the podcast out for last week but we will have it out today Judges uh, 10 and 11 uh, we're going to be talking about Jephthah, a new character, a new judge that God's going to touch his life and make him a deliverer for Israel. God bless. I hope you enjoy the message. So it's pretty nice having power, huh? Praise the Lord. Last week we preached in the dark. I think right when I said amen, the lights went on. It was was like it was meant to be. So my People who depend on the podcast did not get to hear Judges chapter 9, so we're going to do it again. It was actually pretty good. But no, we're going to go move, continue to move on. We're going to be looking at today Judges 10 and possibly Judges 11. But before we do, I want to show you a few slides that we didn't get to see last week. Go ahead and... Uh, move on to the next one. This was the stone that was set up by Joshua. So they would remember all that God had done. And this is the very same stone that Abimelech was appointed king after killing his 40 brothers. It's an amazing thing. They totally missed the whole representation of that stone. Let's go to the next one. I wanted you to see this. This is the natural amphitheater that is in Shechem. And Jotham, he was standing up on the right over here, and he was saying all that. Remember when he he was preaching what was going to happen to them for them making Abimelech this false king. And he was standing up on top of that mountain, and everybody down below could hear. This is the same mountain that when Moses, he had six tribes on one side, talking about the blessings, which was up over here, and six tribes on the other side, which were was talking about the curses when they did not follow God. And everybody down below in Shechem could actually hear. Well, Shechem was actually destroyed after Abimelech, and it actually lay dormant for several hundred years. But it is coming back. This is from the east side, looking at the same two mountains and the fertile soil that was right there, uh, an amazing place. And I just wanted you to see that. Okay, we can move on. And now we're looking at Judges chapter 10. 
So Judges 10, verse 1 says, After Abimelech there arose and defended Israel, Tola, the son of Pua, and the son of Dodo, a man of Issachar, and he dwelt in Shamar in Mount Ephraim. Did everybody get that? It sounded like a bunch of... But this Tola is our very next judge. And this is all that's wrote about him. And he judged Israel 20 and 3 years and died and was buried in Shamar. So that's all Tola gets. We have nothing more about him. We don't know if he was a good judge, a bad judge. Obviously, I think he was probably keeping people in line and serving the one and true God. Uh, he was there for 23 years. And after him arose Jair, which actually in Hebrew, they don't have a J. It should have been Yair, Yair a Gileite, and judged Israel 20 and two years. And this is all that it had to say about him. And he had 30 sons that rode on 30 ass colts, and they had 30 cities, which are all called Havath Jair, until this day, which is in the land of Gilad. Verse 5, and Jair died and was buried in Chemon. So that's all we have about these two judges. How many years went by? Nearly 50. Nearly 50 years in their history, and that's all we have on these two judges. That's all we have. It's interesting that Jair got a little more. He had 30 sons. Now we wonder, he must have had more than one wife. Wouldn't you think? For 30 sons, I hope so too. Uh, and they all got to drive around in F-150s. You know, because that's the equivalent, you know, that's the equivalent to having a donkey is, is an F-150. They, they had cool cars and they each got a town. Okay, so that's all we have on them. But then verse 6. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. How many times have we heard that? Many times. And served Balaam and Ashtoreth, which is the female side of Balaam, and the gods of Syria, and the gods of Zidon, and the gods of Moab, and the gods of the children of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines, and forsook the Lord and served him not. It's an amazing thing. Let's go to the next slide. This is what they're doing. We, we've talked about this many times, and I have to. We've had guests in the house today. They have to understand what the book of Judges is all about. It's about the cycle of sin. They're serving God, and they're doing great, and then they, they do evil in the sight of the Lord. They begin to worship other gods. God punishes Israel, and he allows them to come into bondage of whoever the gods that they're serving and then Israel cries out to the Lord because now they're in bondage. Now they're, they're being tortured and killed and starved. God raises up a judge. Israel is delivered. And peace is in the land again. And Israel serves the Lord. They continue on this cycle. You say, well, why do we have to know about this? Go to the next slide. Because we're in the same cycle of sin. In sin, we put ourselves first. 
We cry out to God for forgiveness, and we do it. And if you say that you don't do this, then you probably should, we should pray for you over line. We cry out for forgiveness, and God forgives and gives grace. He forgives us. Then we put God first, and we walk with God. But then in a period of time, we begin to put self first. This is the same cycle that they had that we have. There is a difference. We have Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's the difference that the people and judges did not have. We have the Holy Spirit that resides within us. We know the Holy Spirit was present because you're going to see here where uh, Jephthah was touched by God, was anointed by God. That's the Holy Spirit. But we have the Holy Spirit residing within us. And we need to remember. Go to the next slide. Verse 7. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the children of Amnon. Wow. I think that's, I think we've heard the anger of the Lord was hot before, but now he's really getting serious. Let's look at verse 8. Verse 8. And the year, and that year they vaxed, they were disturbed, troubled, and provoked, and oppressed by the, and oppressed the children of Israel for 18 years. Okay, now we just heard about near 50 years that these two judges were judging them. They're both gone, and now for 18 years they're being oppressed because they've been serving other gods than the God of Israel. All the children of Israel that were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilad. Let's go to the next slide. Moreover, the children of Amnon, we got to be careful when you're looking at the pronunciation. You got Amnon and you got Amorites. Two different people. They sound the same, but they're not the same. Different tribes. Over the Jordan and fought against Judah. So now they're coming against, they're coming across the Jordan and they're beginning to fight against Judah, against Benjamin, against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was sore depressed. Let's look at verse 9. Moreover, the children of Amnon possessed, passed over Jordan. Did I just read that one? Okay, verse 10. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, saying, We have sinned against thee because we have forsaken our God and also served Balaam. This is one of the first times that we've seen this coming out of the Israelites' mouths. They're confessing. They're saying, you're right, God, we've, we, we've completely forgot about you. Now we haven't been serving you, and we ask you to forgive us. And the Lord said, look at verse 11, the Lord said unto the children of Israel, did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the children of Amnon and from the Philistines, the Zodians also and the Amalekites and the Maonites? did oppress you, and you cried to me, and I delivered you out of their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Wherefore, I will deliver you no more. Go cry unto the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. Go, God. Yeah, you just go. That's how I feel. These guys continually turn their back on God, and finally, God is saying, you know what? I've had enough. I've literally, I've had enough. You know what? You go serve those gods and let those guys, let those gods save you if you think they can. 
But, you know, we serve an amazing God, an amazing, merciful God. And the children of Israel said unto the Lord, we have sinned. Do thou unto us whatever seemed good unto thee. Deliver us only, we pray thee this day. So they're saying, you can, you, can, you can zap us with a lightning bolt. We don't care. Just deliver us. Deliver our kids. Deliver us from this torment that we got ourselves into. You can do what you want with us, but deliver our children. Deliver our families. Verse 16, they put away the strange gods from among them and serve the Lord. Look at this next statement. And his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. Do you realize the God that you serve? God's soul was grieved for the misery that his children was in. They asked for forgiveness. They put away the other gods. They're back to serving him. They're reprinted. But you know what they're saying? God, do to us what you will. Let us die. Let's save our families. And God had mercy. And his soul was disturbed because of what they were going through. You know, you need to pay close attention to that when you find yourself in that place where you're just so, so upset, so distraught that you think nothing can happen. God hears you and God cares. He cares about what you're going through. He cares about when you're going through it. And he's merciful and he's loving. Verse 17, then the children of Amnon were gathered together and encamped in Gilad. And the children of Israel assembled themselves together and encamped in Mizpeth. Verse 18, and the people and the princes of Gilad said to one another, what man is he that will begin to fight against the children of Amnon? He shall be head over the inhabitants of Gilad. Okay, what's he saying? What they're saying? They're come together. They're now worshiping God and serving God. They, they straighten their act out. But now their enemies are coming in and really forcing. They're, they're fighting. They're, they're beginning to kill their families, their brothers, their sisters, their, their people. So they come together and they said, who's going to lead us? That's what they're saying. What man? Who's going to be the next one that God to anoint and to lead us? We don't have anybody. Who is it going to be, God? And we move right into Judges chapter 11. There's a man in chapter 11 named Jephthah. He's also going to be the next judge to deliver Israel. It's an interesting th thing. He was driven away from his home in Gilead, Gilad by his jealous brothers. This story is amazing. Pay attention close to Jephthah's story. Verse 1. Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, which means that's where he lived, was a mighty man of valor. Isn't that interesting? That's the first thing that God has to say about him. We know that probably Samuel is the one writing these books. At least that's our theory. And I believe that God has anointed his hand and he said straight up, Jephthah is a mighty man of valor. Who else said that? Did God say that about? Remember Gideon? Gideon's hiding, you know, from Midianites and he's in there trying to do some wheat in a wine press. Angel of the Lord shows up and says, you're a mighty man of valor. And Gideon's looking around like, who, me? See, but God can speak those things that, that are not as though they were. 
And he says the very same thing about Jephthah. But he was the son of a harlot. And Gilad begot Jephthah. Gilad was his dad. Gilad's wife bore sons, verse 2, and when his son's, wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are not the son, for you are the son of another woman. And Jephthah fled, verse 3, from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men banded together with Jephthah, and he went out raiding with him. Interesting thing here. They drove him out. He's not part of the family. Fact is, we don't even have history of what, what Israelite family he was part of. Gilad was his dad, which they called him a Gileadite. But we don't know what tribe of Israel he was part of. In fact, if you, if you look into the historian Josephus, Josephus says he wasn't a Hebrew at all, that he was probably a Canaanite. But he's involved here in his family, and they've kicked him out. How would you feel? Your family has drove you away. You're not going to have any inheritance. You're nothing. Goodbye. And so he goes to this town called Tob, hooks up with some guys, and they begin raiding for their living. What were they doing? They were going to people's farms and stealing their chickens, stealing their goats, taking their food, their money, whatever they could do. They were running around raiding. They were criminals. And it came to pass after a time, the people of Amnon made war against Israel. And so it was the people of Amnon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilad went to Jephthah to the land of Tob, went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, come and be our commander that we may fight against the people of Amnon. What in the world is going on? Why are they picking him? Because he's a big, tough guy. That's why he's brave enough to go in the land and go raiding and stealing for his own income, for his own survival. He's the guy that could beat these armies. He's the guy that could lead us. This is what God had put on their hearts. So they said to him, come and be our commander. Verse 7, so Jephthah said to the elders of Gilad, did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come now when you are in distress? Verse 8, and the elders of Gilad said to Jephthah, that is why we have turned again to you now that you may go with us and fight against the people of Amnon and be our head over the inhabitants of Gilad. Verse 9, let's look at what Jephthah said. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilad, if you take me back home to fight against the people of Amnon and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? That's a fair question. That's a really fair question. He's saying, hey, and the thing that got to me, he says, if you guys take me home, which tells me that that's really where he wanted to be. You take me home. You take me back with you. And if God does what God says to you that he's going to do, and he delivers the enemy into my hand, am I going to be your leader? Are you guys going to continue to look to me to lead you? 
Verse 10, and the elders of Gidlad said to Jephthah, the Lord will be a witness between us if we do not do according to your words. So they're saying, yes, yes, you will be our leader. Verse 11, then Jephthah went to the elders of Gilad, and the people made him the head commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all the words before the Lord in Mesphah. Now Jephthah, verse 12, sent messengers to the king of the people of Amnon, saying, it's very interesting. This is the first time out of all the judges we've looked at. What is this? It's probably number five, six, seven, eight. This is number eight. This is the first guy who decides to use diplomacy. This guy is the, is the criminal. He's the one that's out raiding and robbing and stealing for his living. And yet he's now their head. And look what he does. He sends messengers to the king of the people of Amnon saying, what do you have against me that have come to fight against me in my land? And the king and the people of Amnon answered the messengers of Jephthah, because Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt from Aaron as far as Jabrook to the Jordan. Now, therefore, restore these lands peaceably. It's unbelievable. Verse 14, and Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the people of Amnon. And he said to them, thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the people of Amnon. That's a very interesting thing. I'm not going to take you there just because of time. But he begins to quote, I think it's Deuteronomy 20 or 22. He begins to quote what actually happens in these lands when Israel came and took these lands. So if this guy is not a Hebrew, he certainly knows the Hebrew Bible. He begins to quote what actually happened. Verse 16, for when Israel came up from Egypt, they walked through the wilderness as far as the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Verse 17, and Israel sent messengers to the, to the king of Edom saying, please let me pass through your land. If you, your Bible scholars remember this, but the king of Edom would not heed. And in like manner, they sent to the king of Moab but he would not consent, so Israel remained in Kadesh. Verse 18, And they went along through the wilderness and bypassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab and came to the east side of Moab and encamped on the other side of Arnon. But they did not enter the border of Moab, for Arnon was the border of Moab. Verse 19, he's still quoting, And Israel sent messengers to Shion, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon, and Israel said to him, please let us pass through your land into our place. But Shion did not trust Israel to pass through the territory. Understand, they were probably three million strong. There were a lot of people. We can't let them pass through. If they stop, they're going to stay here forever. They'll overpower us. So Shion gathered all his people together and encamped in Jahaz and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sheoth, she, Shehan, and all his people into the hand of Israel. They defeated them. Thus, Israel gained possession of the land of the Amorites who inhabited the country. 
So you see, we didn't just come in and take it over. The Lord handed it to us. And they took possession of the territory of the Amorites from Aaron to Jabbok from the wilderness of the Jordan to the Jordan. Verse 23, and now the Lord God of Israel has dispossessed the Amorites from before his people. Should you then possess it? He's saying to them, hey, listen, if God had opened the door for us and said, go, should we not go? He delivered it to us. He gave it to us. It's an amazing thing. Verse 24. Will you not possess whatever? Now he's talking to them and he's talking about their God. He said, will you not possess whatever Shamash, your God, gives you to possess? So whenever the Lord, our God, takes possession of before us, we will possess it. Verse 25, and now you are many better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab. Did he ever strive against Israel? Did he ever fight against them? This is the fourth argument, and it's a simple one. It's been multiple generations since Israel has occupied this territory. And now they're wanting to come back and take it away. And, and obviously they're saying no. Verse 26, while Israel dwelt in Hashbon and the villages in Aor and its villages and in all the cities along the banks of Arnon for 300 years, why did you not recover them within that time? All these years, it's been 300 years since you guys had any kind of possession in this land. Why didn't you take it? During that time, he says in verse 27, therefore, I have not sinned against you, but you wronged me in fighting against me. May the Lord of Judah render judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Amnon. However, the king of the people, verse 28, the king of the people of Amnon did not heed the words which Jepheth sent him. Verse 29, pay attention. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. What do you think that means? That's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. I think the Spirit of the Lord had been with him through this whole conversation. He was trying his best to use diplomacy to, to not take the children of Israel into another bloody battle, but it didn't work. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah and he passed through Gilad and Manasseh and passed through Mesbeth of Gilad and from Mesbeth to Gilan and advanced toward the people of Amnon. So they're advancing towards the people of Amnon. They're going to head straight into battle. Now understand, Jephthah hasn't been leader for very long. And maybe they haven't even had a lot of military experience of going out and fighting. Remember, they just had 50 years of peace over here when these other two guys were the judges. They haven't been fighting anybody. So he's a little bit concerned. In verse 30, Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. And he said, if you will heed and deliver the people of Amnon into my hands, then, I will, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the people of Amnon, surely shall surely be the Lord's. 
and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. I don't know what he was thinking. What are you thinking, Jephthah? He's basically saying, okay, Lord, if you will defeat these enemies and put them into my hand, when I get home, whatever walks out my front door, that I will sacrifice as a burnt offering unto the Lord. Was he thinking a goat was going to come out the door? I mean, or, or a sheep or, or, or what? Maybe his mother-in-law? You know, I don't know. What, an attorney? I mean, it's got to be. What was he thinking? He wasn't thinking. Hmm. Verse 32, so Jephthah advanced towards the people of Amnon and fought against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. Uh Uh-oh. Verse 33, and he defeated them from Aor to as far as Minith, 20 cities, and to Abel-Karim with a great slaughter. Thus the people of Amnon, Amnon were subdued before the children of Israel. Verse 34, when Jephthah came to his house of Mispeth, there his daughter came out to meet him with trembles and dancing. It was his daughter that came through the door. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. This was the only child that he had. Verse 35, and it came to pass when he saw her, that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. This is an interesting story, and we need to pay close attention to this story. We need to be careful with our words. Do you think God, let's talk about this for a minute. Do you think God's going to require him to sacrifice his daughter? He made the vow. My answer is no, of course not. God does not approve of human sacrifice, period. Period. It was a bad vow. In fact, in the book of Numbers, there's actually Moses gave him a way out. To, if you break a vow, you can go to the priest and you can give him 10 shekels. And they'll let you out of the vow. Obviously, he didn't know about that. Hmm. It's a terrible thing. Verse 36. So she said to him, this is his daughter, my father. If you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Amnon. If there's a hero in this story, it's that little girl. It's that little girl. Then she said to her father, let this thing be done to me. Let me be alone for two months that I may go and wander on the mountains and beguile my virginity with my friends and I to celebrate her virginity. That's what it meant. Didn't mean she's gonna go out and lose it. It means to celebrate it, to celebrate her virginity. So he said, go. And he sent her away for two months and she went with her friends and beguiled her virginity 
in the mountains. Verse 39, and so it was at the end of the two months that she returned to her father and he carried out the vow with her, which he had vowed. She knew no man and it became a custom in Israel. Verse 40, that the daughters of Israel went out four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite. And he shall head over the inhabitants of Gilead. So there's a, there's a little bit of controversy on this scripture. You can go to your commentaries and you can read all sorts of things. There are those that say that, well, he didn't sacrifice her like kill her and burn her on a stake. He actually committed her to the church, to be a virgin to the church, and that she would serve the church all the days of her life and she would never marry and never have children. Most people in the Western culture like to believe that because we can't reconcile it in our own minds that in the living word of God, a man actually sacrifices his daughter because of a vow that he made. And what we have to understand is God did not approve this vow. God would have gladly let him out of the vow. I personally believe that by the way it's wrote, that they lament the daughter of Jephthah, that he did, he did sacrifice his daughter. That's my personal opinion. If you would choose to believe that he gave her to the church and she served the church until the day of her death, then you can, you can choose that. It makes no difference. What it is important is we need to remember and be very careful with our words of what we say, the vows we make. It's important to remember that you don't make a vow with something that is completely wrong and wrong against God's eyes. Well, I'm going to make a vow that blah, 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 I'll go with you and rob a bank. We'll rob a bank. No, that's, are you stupid? You can't do that. That's not the kind of vow that you can make. And how many of us have been in that situation where I can remember in my own life, God, if you help me out of this, I'll quit smoking. I'll never smoke again. I'll never, I'll throw the cigarettes away. I'll throw them away. I'll throw them away right now. And the next day when things are better, I start smoking. Foolishness. Foolishness. We, we're all part of it. That we're, we're all part of this same cycle of sin that goes around and around and around. And we need to be careful with the words we say. That's why we're in church and we're learning and growing and developing in our faith. No, I'm not going to make vows that I can't keep. I'm not going to make promises that I cannot keep. It can be as simple as, you know, you're in an airport and you're, you're, you're flying away and you see your flight come up and you go, oh, honey, I'll be home by six. You should not say that. You have no idea if the plane isn't going to be delayed or the flight isn't canceled. That's making a promise you can't keep. We need to pay attention to the words. That sounds petty. It sounds really small, but... We really do need to pay attention to the words we speak and the promises we make. This is a horrible situation and it affected Jephthah throughout all of history. He's probably one of the greater of the judges using the dip diplomat. He was, he was a real diplomat. And he didn't want to go into war. The rest of the guys were bloodthirsty, ready to go. Let's go kill. Let's, let's take them out. But he wasn't that guy. But now he's ruined his reputation. 
with this one fatal act. And yet God made an opportunity for him to get out of it, but he didn't take it for whatever the reason is. It's important when we make a vow that we know that we can keep a vow. When I married my beautiful wife, I promised to be her, her man until the day that we both shall die. It's a vow I can keep. It's a vow that we can keep. But it's very important that when we're living life out just a day to day, that we be very careful with the words that we speak and the vows that we make, the promises that we make. It's important, and we need the Holy Spirit to guide us. Amen? Tony, would you guys come on back? You might be thinking, you know, Pastor, what does that have to do with salvation? It has everything to do with it. Jesus Christ came and died for our sins so that we can be forgiven for the stupid vows that I've made that I didn't hold up to, the promises I've made that never came true. We're studying the Old Testament because we need to see the cycle of sin that man has inherently. It's who we are. It's who we are. The cycle of sin goes round and round and round, and I don't care who you think you are, you're part of it. But the good news is we have a Lord and we have a Savior. And I know I have to constantly to ask him to forgive me. Thoughts that I think. It doesn't happen as much as it used to. I'm getting better. But I'm not there. Neither are you. The thoughts I think. The things that sometimes I do. Sometimes things fall out of my mouth that embarrass me. And I quickly have to repent. Because the Holy Spirit's inside of me, kicking me in the ribs like, you idiot. What makes you think you can talk that way? I thank God for our Savior. It's because we have a Savior that we can make it. They needed a Savior big time. And God in His infamy brought us a Savior so that we could be forgiven. Heaven is ours. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it belongs to you. It's yours. It's a promise that he won't back out on. It's a vow that he had made that all we have to do is to believe and confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, then we have eternal life. That's a vow that we can hold on to. It's one that God made for us. He specifically made it for me. I thank God for that. And I hope that you do too.